Well, today I'm going to talk to you about uh, another uh, group of people that Jesus ministered to after the resurrection. This is a powerful story, and many of you may know it as uh, a story called The Road to Emmaus. And uh, we're going to look at these, these two men uh, who, who actually uh, uh, were, were leaving the, the devastation of what went on of the, the crucifixion. Now, um, what they needed is for God to restore revelation to them. And that's what this message is really all about. I believe Jesus is actually restoring revelation to us. You know what it is to have a, a revelation. When you put these two words together, restoration means to take something uh, that once was new and it became old and then you fixed it back up, maybe even better than it was in the beginning. And revelation means something that was a mystery, something that was hidden, and then it gets revealed. Of course, you know, most of us think of reality television and uh, Chip and Joanna Gaines and, you know, and then uh, are you ready to see your fixer-upper, you know? And it's like, and here's the big reveal, and there's this sense of awe and wonder to see what from something that was once like not livable to now it's it's worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. Why? Because it was put into masterful hands and restored. And that is what Jesus is doing. He is doing a work of restoration, but we have to partner with him and these works in faith. In calling and today in revelation. I believe that God wants to release a fresh wave of revelation of who Jesus is to all of us. And let's read this story in a, and there are going to be some things that God gives to us. Just as practical insights so we can, we can, we can grow in revelation. Luke 23, 13 says this. It's where we'll begin. Now that same day two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still with their faces downcast. Okay, it's like, you know, they just paused and looked at him like, really? Really? You're asking us, really? You're asking us that question? They stood still. He says, one of them named Cleopas says, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? Jesus said, what things? He asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb earlier this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. 
And as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those who were with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke bread. When he broke the bread. Now, I want to walk you through this story, and today I want to give you some practical instruction about how to grow in your revelation of Christ. How to grow in your revelation of Christ. And make no mistake, we need to start by defining who Christ is. Let me, you should write this down, make a note. Jesus is the Word. This Word is a written, is written inspiration by God describing Christ perfectly. Jesus is the Word. You see, in John chapter 1, it said, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Well, the Word was God. The Word was with God. Well, who is that? Well, when you go down to verse 14, you say, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld the glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Who is that talking about? It's talking about Jesus, and Jesus is the Word. And make no mistake, there is an outpouring in this day. There is a coming move of the spirit which we're in the shallows of now an awakening that's going to happen in schools in families in seniors listen i i over this this whole time that we have been uh kind of separated uh quarantined i have gotten a fresh a fresh zeal for revival in 40 percent of this county which is the senior citizens i'm telling you right now there is a fire coming to young people, but there is a group of people in this county who are called to burn with a holy flame in their latter years, that they are to be a well-watered garden. And listen, we have walked, the problem is, we've walked for years thinking we've got everything about Jesus figured out. But here's what I want to say to you. God is about to restore to every generation a fresh revelation of Jesus. It's a fresh revelation of Jesus that's coming. And let me just tell you, there will never be a move of God apart from the word of God. 
I believe in every gift of the Spirit. I believe tongues and interpretation of tongues, prophecy, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, discerning of spirit, special gift of faith, gifts of healing. Listen, I believe, I want all of it. I want signs and wonders. I want us to come together and have the whole place shake. But listen, we're not going to have a revival apart from the Word, apart from a revelation of Jesus. It will always be about Jesus. It always has been about Jesus. It will continue to be about Jesus until we hear the trumpet sound, until we hear that final call to go and be with him and meet with him and be with him forever. It's always been about Jesus, but the, God has got to restore a revelation. The problem in the church is that we think we know. We think we know him. Angels who are gathered around the throne, we're singing the song, you are holy. We think God, when he created the angels, he said, I'm going to give them a limited vocabulary. One word, holy. You need to read the scriptures. The, the angels have no problem. Gabriel, that brother can talk. He's a mouthpiece. God, they, can, they can say lots of things. God did not give them a one-word vocabulary. He actually just placed them around the throne and said, say whatever comes to your mind when you look at me with eyes from without and within. When you see me for who, who I am, what do you say? And they say, holy. And they look again and they say, oh, holy. And they look again and they say, oh, holy, holy. There's never an, uh, an oldness to them saying holy because there's always a freshness to the revelation of God. And you and I need to live this way. We need to say, listen, I need, I need in this hour God to restore some revelation in me. And it will come as we gain revelation that Jesus is the word. And you can't just say, God, revive me and lay this book down. Because Psalm 119 says, revive me according to your word, O Lord. And there's power in this word. And we're going to look at this. Over the next, I don't know, a few weeks as the Lord leads. So, as God is, as Jesus is restoring revelation, let me give you some simple practical principles that we're going to find in this story. First, you got to walk with the word. You got to walk with the word. Now, it says, as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus came up and walked along with them. Um. When I say you have to walk with the word, you immediately think, oh, this is my responsibility to, to find the word, to search the word out and walk with it. But that's not this story. This story is that they were on a seven-mile walk coming out of, off the mountaintop in Jerusalem. And they're traveling seven miles downhill. So let's just say seven-mile walk, what's that take us? Let's just say we're uh, fitter than we are. Um, <laughs> two hours, okay? We'll give them two hours. They're on a two-hour walk downhill. And all of a sudden, this stranger just walks up to him and says, Hey, what are you doing? What are you talking about? What are you talking about? This stranger just walks up. What would you do if a stranger walked up to you and just started talking? And you didn't recognize them. 
He would be like, um, I have a taser. <laughs> Get away from me. What are you doing? Why are you talking to me? That's, that's, that is, that's our, our, our society. So when we read this story and we just find Jesus just walks up right beside him and just starts talking, what we need to gain is a revelation of Jesus' willingness to walk with us in our everyday normal life. When I say walk with the, with the word, I'm actually saying dare to let the word walk with you. Dare to let the word walk with you. You see, the great revelation that needs to first come is that Jesus is willing to walk with you every day. All right, that blows our minds. He is God. Now, when you realize the willingness of Jesus to be near you, it then positions you for revelation. When you realize he wants to be with you, and you're just like, oh, yeah, come on. Now, here's the first realization you need as you welcome the word to walk with you in your everyday. Here's, here's what it is. He will walk as far as you want. He will walk with you as far as you want. Now, here's the, here's the story, right? The story is like this. It is, uh, oh, uh, hopefully they're not coming to get us. Um, and if they are, one of you other pastors, just pick up. <laughs> um, um, <laughs> sorry, there's a helicopter for those online who can't hear it. Um, and so, uh, <laughs> recover. All right, he will walk as far as you want. And, uh, and so, uh, here they are. They're, they're finishing up this seven-mile walk. They're turning into their house. This is where we go behind our gated communities, and we look at the people who we've allowed to walk with us on our time of exercise. We go, all right, we'll see you later. Go to your house. Go do your own thing. Go on, keep on going. And honestly, in the church, we sometimes have done that. We'll come in on a Sunday. We'll lift our hands and lift our voice. But as soon as we get to our driveway, we're like, Jesus, go do whatever you want to do. But as far as our house, we're just pulling in here, and we're going to do our own thing. The revelation we first need to have is that he is willing to go as far as we will invite him. How far will you invite this into your life? This word of God. He, he was, it says, supposing that he would have gone farther. But they begged him, come to our house and stay. They said, it's late. We've got all kinds of reasons. We've been hearing you speak. We've been hearing you pour into us. We want you to go far. Listen, I know you feel there's some other things that you could get to, but come. Come on, Jesus. Come on into our house. Come on in. Keep coming. Keep coming. Keep coming. Listen, Isaiah 119 says this. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good of the land. You've got to be willing, but how far? far do you want to walk with the word? How far and how much do you want to let him in? Listen, he'll go as far as you want. I don't know about you, but when I read this book, this book messes with me. 
I see guys like Peter and John, they're just going to pray. Here's a lame guy begging for money. You know what we do when people are begging for money? I know what we do. Oh, that's a gimmick. That's a game. They're making more than we are. That's what we do. What do we do? We close our gate. But I read this book, and Peter and, Peter and John have, have invited Jesus in in a powerful way. They look down at a lame man and said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you. Rise and walk in the name of Jesus. And a man who's been lame now walks and leaps like a deer. Guys, listen, if that's not our life, then let's invite him a little further. If we're not laying hands on the sick and seeing them, invite him a little further. Is it, do you think that maybe your willingness to walk with the Lord, it just hit, uh, it hit a flesh moment. It hit a desire. It hit something else. It hit something that you couldn't deal with in life. And so we just turned into our houses and didn't invite him in to go farther. I tell you, I, what I see in this word provokes me to go further. And he wants to go further. Second, if you're going to just get restored revelation and help you to live it, you got to talk to the Word. You got to talk to the Word. Now, I love this. It says, Jesus says, What things? What things? He says, Do you not know what's been happening? He said, What, what, what things? I, I just want to ask. There are some seasoned saints in here today, and perhaps you are on watching online. Has, have you ever been in your relationship with God and God asks you a question? I have. I've had God ask me a question. Here's what I've learned. He's not looking for information. He's not looking to be informed. He is omniscient. He is all-knowing. So if he asks you a question, it's probably because... What you think you know, you really don't know, and you now need a revelation. So you got to talk with the Word. Because once you get talking, you, it actually reveals what you're really saying. And let's find out what these guys were really saying. It says, it said, about Jesus of Nazareth. And they replied in their most religious King James voice. He was a prophet. Powerful, wasn't it powerful? Oh, it was powerful. How was he powerful? He was powerful in word. Say it, powerful in word. House was a power. He was powerful indeed. Yeah, he was powerful. Before God and all the people. And then the chief priests and rulers, they crucified him. And we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. All the religious overtones just ended. Oh, we hoped he was the redeemer. But you know what they were saying when they were talking to Jesus? But he wasn't. He died. Oh, we've heard rumors that the tomb is empty. But we know what's really going on because we're going seven miles away from all this. We know what's happening. 
Um, now, this is why I could not have been Jesus. Because at this moment, I would have opened their eyes with my nail-pierced hands upside their head. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah, we had hoped he was the Redeemer. What? The nail-pierced hands are right beside you. The nail-pierced feet are right walking right beside you. The hole in the side is right beside you. And they are looking at Jesus and saying, we hoped he was the Redeemer, but he's not. Whoo! I would have been, ooh, that would have been a bad day if I was Jesus. But he was full of grace and truth, and I am being filled with his goodness. Listen, when you begin to talk to the word, he hears what you're really saying. He hears what you're really saying. Can, can I just give you just a real piece of honest advice. If you want to live in Revelation, stop acting and talking religiously to God. Okay, let me help you. He doesn't speak King James. He wasn't even white. Oh, I know I just messed with a whole bunch of you, right? He, Jesus wasn't white. He was Jewish, okay? Really tan, olive skin. I want you to think about this for a moment. Here they're saying he's not the redeemer. And Jesus keeps walking with them. Stop having a religious approach to God when you talk to him and get real. I dare you to just lose the facade, lose the, the hypocritical thing that we put up sometimes on Sunday mornings pull it down and saying, God, I'm going to get real with you and I'm going to talk to you the way that David talked in Psalm 13. You know what's, and, and, and I'll get to it in just a moment, but God can handle our misguided beliefs and twisted emotions. After all, these two basically said Jesus was not the redeemer we hoped for. He can handle it. In Psalm 13, David says it this way, How long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? By the way, he, he, he sent this to musicians and said, this is going to be a big hit. This is amazing. How do you like this song starting off? How long, oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel of my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Man, are you not encouraged to the bone yet? Consider and hear me, O Lord my God, enlighten my eyes. He's like, lest I sleep the sleep of death. He said, listen, if you don't do something, I'm going to die. Lest my enemy say I've prevailed against him. Lest those who trouble me rejoice when I am moved. He says, and then all of a sudden, it's like after all of that expression of truth, after an uh, expression of how he felt, 
He says, but I have trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Listen, if you find yourself in a real place of trial and struggle, don't try to hide it from God. Carry it to him, but then allow your pain to lead you to biblical perspective. Let your pain lead you to biblical. He said, no, that God says, if I be for you, who can be against you? I'm in pain. I'm in sorrow. I'm in unbelief. But God, I trust in your mercy. And it never fails. You need to be real with God. You want fresh revelation of Jesus? Stop being fake and be real. Psalm 13 is one of the most real psalms ever. Just say where you are. Come out of hiding. And say, this is where I am. At some point in the expression of how he felt, relief came. Anybody ever just feel better getting it off your chest? Some of you do that to your husband or wife. Ooh, that's a bad idea. Husbands, don't do that. Do not do that. You take this kind of stuff to God because God's the one that can handle it. I'm not saying don't work out your stuff and communicate. Definitely do that. But God can handle our mixed up emotions like no one else. And then when relief comes, then we can see the truth for who he is. David moved from pain to perspective and so can we. We just have to say, God, this is where I really am and I trust you. This is where I really am. This is where my heart really is. Talk to the word. Walk with him. Talk to him. They were disappointed on the road, and yet he still moved with them and spoke to them. Lastly, is this idea that we would, if we want fresh revelation and we want restored revelation, we have to be taught by the word. We have to be taught by the word. Now, he said to them, how foolish Slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Do not the Messiah have to suffer all these things and then enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Please see this. Jesus used the scripture to bring revelation of who he is. Listen, there is not a greater revelation of Jesus than what is contained in these pages. Jesus used the scripture to reveal himself, and he is still using the scripture to reveal who he is. And we have to be taught by this word, by Christ himself, in order for him to fix the things that we believe wrong about who he is and why our emotions are all over the place, in order for him to do this. Now, since we know Jesus is the word, and we know that the word himself is expressed through the scripture let's look at what the word says about the word second timothy three sixteen says this it says all scripture is god breathed or inspired by god and is useful for four things teaching rebuking correcting training and righteousness so that the servant of god may be thoroughly equipped for every good work now listen god's end game in teaching you uh, by his word, that when you get taught by his word, is that you will be thoroughly equipped. 
that you will be really ready for every moment that you encounter. You'll be ready, thoroughly equipped. Anybody ever felt ill-equipped in a moment? Like, I don't really know what to do here. And yet, all along, the scripture says that you would be thoroughly equipped when you are taught by the word. Well, what is, how does the word teach us? And by the way, um, this is, uh, uh, you know, for those who, who, who you know, I've, also, I've often heard this, and I don't, I don't know if it's, if it's true or not. Oh, man, you guys focus so much on the goodness of God and, and the, the, the favor of God. Never talk about the wrath of God or this or that. And I, I, I don't shy away from any subject, but I do b- believe that people should be encouraged. They, sh- they should leave here with fresh faith edified in the spirit. But I want you to see the four things that scripture does and what scripture says. Now, by the way, if you have a snowflake mentality, this may melt you. This is the part of the sermon that may melt you entirely. And that's exactly what God wants to happen. So I I would like to apologize for those with an eggshell mentality, anyone who touches and says anything that maybe you're not all that you think you are and that you just fall apart. Well, I want you to, you know, this isn't about God making you fall apart. He's actually trying to put you together, but he needs to disassemble some thought patterns in you so you can actually be taught by the word. First, scripture is used for teaching. It's for doctrine. So what is this, what is this saying here? Scripture is used for teaching. All mothers who have children in school understand this like never before. They are standing before people who do not know what they are learning. So when when God says scripture is good for teaching, here's what he's saying. You don't know. You don't know. You think you know, but you don't know. Anybody ever been there? You're on a test, you know, got a math test. You think you got the right formula? You apply that formula to that particular problem? Give the answer in great confidence only to see the red mark come back? You're like, huh, I thought I knew. No, you were wrong. You didn't know. And many times that's what we do in life. I've got the formula. I've got this thing figured out. And God's saying, hey, you don't know. And the first way is you don't even know how to think about me. You don't know. And scripture's saying you don't know but I'll teach you. I'll teach you. Second, it's rebuke. Oh, this one's fun. I feel like Joel Osteen. I'm so encouraging right now. This is the anti-Joel Osteen message. I love Joel Osteen. He's so encouraging. But here, the scripture says it's good for rebuke. You know what rebuke is? Stop! Here's what the scripture's saying. You are wrong. Man, how many of you wake up in the morning and say, man, I just cannot wait for a good rebuke. (laughs) How many of you know there's a a good time to get rebuked? What? Yeah, you're wrong. Can you you hear those disciples? Those, Those guys on the road to Emmaus? Yeah, we had hoped that he was the Redeemer. And he said, you foolish disciples. Man, they were really encouraged at that moment. You slow to believe. He's rebuking them. Hey, it's a wise, according to the scripture, a wise man or woman loves a rebuke. And so what do we do? We embrace the scriptures rebuking us because it's saying, stop. 
stop. And then what comes after? All scripture is also good for correction. Man, I don't know if we're moving up the scale now, but I, and I promise you, this is not how to build your self-worth, okay? This is how to deconstruct uh, a false sense of self-worth so you have a genuine value to the kingdom of God. The, the scripture is good for correction. You know what that means? You're going the wrong direction. You're doing this the wrong way. Here's what it's saying. There is a way that seems right unto man, but in its end, it leads to death. And God comes along with the scripture and says, listen, hatred, unforgiveness, malice, envy, jealousy, homosexuality, sexual immorality, drunkenness, all of this is the wrong way. And he says, rebuke. You're going the wrong direction. You're going the wrong direction. And what does he do? He, said, he corrects us. He gets us going the right direction. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such are, there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified their flesh and their passions. And it says, since we live in the Spirit, then let us also walk in the Spirit. Here we go back to walking with the Word. He says, he corrects us. That's what this word, we got to be taught by the word. And then, of course, training in righteousness. Again, little advice for husbands. Never tell your wife she's out of shape. This is a bad idea. Don't try it. Don't try it. Just have an agreement in your heart. Listen, round is a shape, okay? It's shape, okay? We're blessed. Never do that. But this, the scripture says, uh, this is going to train you. It's going to discipline you. That's what this word means. And discipline doesn't mean spank you. It actually means trains you and makes you stronger. But how many of you know that when you start to lift, when you haven't either lifted for a long time or it's the first time and you begin to lift weights, you are sore and sore and sore, but then you get stronger after a while. You get a little more, uh, a little more life and you get a little more ability and a little bit more to bear up under pressure. And so when God says the scripture is used for training in righteousness, he's saying you need to discipline yourself that you need to work out the word when he says to pray to give to fast which we're going to be doing for three days monday tuesday and wednesday we're going to fast here's your ability to be trained by the word jesus didn't say if you fast he said when you fast oh there it is i'm going to be trained in righteousness and your chance will start monday morning whoa all right, that's what a rebuke feels like. That's what training feels like. It's like, oh, no, that's where the rubber meets the road. Tomorrow's coming, yeah. We fast the first three days of the month saying, God, we want you to, we want you to take us into a brand new place. We want to live in revelation, and we're going to seek the Lord in, in, in honestly in fasting. Well, listen, what's, what's really required for us to be taught by the word is found one word, humility. Humility. Listen to what James chapter 1 says, and we'll wrap it up with this. It says, therefore, lay, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness. Listen, receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Church, please listen to me. Please listen to me online. We have to humble ourselves. In order to receive the power 
of the word. We need to humble ourselves and be taught with, by the word. Listen to the men after Jesus disappears. The, the part that's not in the scripture, it, it, I wish the screams, the shock, the horror of Jesus disappearing was in the scripture. It's just not. Here's what they say. The most powerful thing is this. Did our hearts not burn within us as he opened the scriptures to us? You want a burning heart before the Lord? Allow Jesus to restore revelation of himself by walking with the word, by talking to the word, and by being taught in the word with humility. The word is eternal. It's a seed which gives birth to eternal life if you'll receive it with meekness and humility.